Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depths of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Hey, welcome to What's the Word, Bethel Downtown. My name is Eric Barton. I'm here with Pastor Matt McGill, who brought the wood brought the lumber and preached just <laughs> yesterday at Bethel Bible Church downtown campus, Tyler, Texas, talking about worship. Why did you want to preach about worship? For starters, why did you want to preach? And then why did you want to preach about worship? Well, I do like preaching. Uh, I didn't know that I would like it as much <laughs> as I, I think as a verbal processor. Uh, preaching gives an extended time to get in front of people and allow and maybe this is not your aim, or maybe this is not what you found, but for me, it's nice to have an extended articulation. Yeah. Do you know? And that the people, a people of grace, people that I dearly love and have gotten to know, being in their presence is like having an extra sort of large amount of time at the dinner table, as it were, yeah. to express yourself mm-hmm. and to have God express himself through you. Not perfectly. I'm sure there was too much of me, you know, blurry at times, blurring the what God was wanting to say. But I mean, I think that's that's part of the joy behind it is that it actually is illuminating to me yeah. uh, to bring the word. And pre- for, to preach on worship was, you know, I don't know about you, but experientially, I'm still making sense of voca- of the vocation to which I've been called. Not that it's the only part of my life that that uh, you know that that is characterized by vocation, but part at least for Sundays, and you know, even when we take the band out to Truvine, I mean, sometimes we play what could be considered a worship song, a Godward directed song, and so I wanted to talk through and think through not only uh, our experience of 30, 35 minutes on Sunday mornings, uh, week after week after week after week, but also what is that process, how is that process an exercise? It is an end in and of itself, right. the worship of God, but it's also doing something to us that I wanted to help maybe break people out of a sense of like, we're going to worship and then we're going away from worship, right? right? Rather than worship is with us always because, and I don't know that I really articulated this at the end, but one of the main points was like, hey, look, you may not feel like a good worshiper. You may feel like a doubting worshiper. You may feel like a half-hearted worshiper. And the truth is, is that we live and move and being, move and have our being, not in our ability to worship, but in another's perfect offering of worship. Right. You preached from Hebrews 13 on worship, and worship is one of those terms, one of those words, one of those concepts that virtually every believer knows what worship is, and yet no two worshipers would probably define it the same way because there's a whole lot of cultural baggage, a lot of tradition and trajectory that inform what we think about when we think about worship. For some denominational positions, worship means a very high liturgical thing. For some, it might mean the music in a low church kind of setting. Mm-hmm. But worship is clearly way more than that. You defined it, I thought, very well. What was your big idea slash definition of worship? Worship is 
life in Christ. So that's, if I can use a non-theological term, yeah. that's the jam. Yeah. Life in Christ. And that is the gospel, by the way. So unpack right. that a little bit now that we've got some time to sort of have dialogue. Life in Christ, how is that worship? Well, uh, in a sense, we live our lives before God. Would you agree? I mean, Absolutely. If, if, as the psalmist said, where can I flee from your presence? When I lay down, you're there. When I wake, you're there. You go before me, you're behind me, beneath me, above me. There's an all-encompassing nature to God that the Christian has surrendered to. When he calls Jesus the Lord of his life, he has surrendered to the fact uh, that his name is Emmanuel. Hmm. His presence is with us always. Yeah. So, but I do think that because we live in such, as always, uh, law alluring times, we find. A, what does that mean? Uh, good. I think that there is ever extended to us the burden of performanceism in order to religion, in order to religion, in order to tie back to God. And it's predicated on the idea that you're cut off from the life of God. That's what it's, that's what is, are, is subtly you're saying, I want to go into, you, you hear people say, we're going to go to worship today. I want to go into his presence or, uh, you know, we want to usher in his presence. There's a sense of like the main actor in these people's hearts and minds and worship is them. If they do, then God will show up. Okay. And so what I'm trying to do is break people away from the idea that, that worship is, is, is somehow if-then conditionality-based. Like, if we just sing the right song or if the Spirit drops like a bomb, then we'll have something that we don't already have. And worship is a life in Christ, and a life in Christ is a static, fixed fact. And from that flows all these different elements, elements like the, capa the capacity to be honest, the capacity okay. to be desperate, the capacity to celebrate, the capacity to meditate, to be re to, to 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 be reconciled. You know, every that is life in Christ. All of these different elements and those, because as I started this whole diatribe, with uh, <laughs> because we live as it were before our God, we offer up in the spirit of Jesus. We offer up our lives perpetually to Him for examination for consecration, uh, for absolution, you know, and it's n and none of those things, by the way, consecration, absolution, or uh, uh, what was the other thing that I said? Absolution, consecration, uh, investigations, you know, a fearless moral investigation. None of those things does God hold back from us, right? right. When we offer our lives to him, when we knock, when, when we seek, the door is open. We will find because it's a static reality, the love of God in Jesus Christ. One of the things that you talk about with frequency and regularity is that worship is not this thing that we come and do for God. There's an old adage yeah. that says God is not completed by our worship of him. He is complete. Mm -hmm. Man is completed by his worship of God. Mm -hmm. Or to synthesize and summarize that down, to distill that, worship is good for you. Mm -hmm. Worship is good for me. Worship is good for us, because it is that life in Christ mm -hmm. with volitional, deliberate intentionality. Because it's because there is a training ground. There's a training ground that I mean, and, and what I've realized is it's like there was a time when I was leading worship and I didn't know 
but maybe I knew 10% of the people in the room. Right. Right. So I was presenting for them. But over time, you just have little innocuous conversations, little, uh, you know, little ways that the heart becomes tethered to the body in a community. And before long, I look out and I know 75% of the, of the people in the room. And the body creates an, an environment of safety to actually believe because it's a vulnerable thing to right. actually believe. And I told Lee before, it was like I was talking out loud some of my anxieties even before I preached. And I said, Lee, what I have heard from God is let your love for the people before you inform my word for them. Great. Right? So rather than you got to get it together to do something for God, bring what, bring what God has to serve the people before you. And so I found myself imagining in my mind's eye, maybe where they're sitting at asking for an extra measure of measure of empath to, because I'm the one that gets to get on the stage, put on the guitar, stand on the stage, bring the songs, speak the words. I have the microphone in a sense, in a sense, it's a power position. Yeah. Right. But it can't be, a, but, but if it's a power position, let me, maybe let influence, me maybe influence, yeah, it, but that influence is given. But, but, but what I'm saying by power position is I have the capacity with the mic and the guitar to really distract people from God. Sure. I mean, sure. I can do that week after week after week. And there may have been passages or seasons of time where uh, I'm still learning. I mean, this has been an on-the-job. You called me, in a sense, to this, to this job before I wanted it, right? <laughs> right. This was not—I didn't come knocking on the door of Bethel Bible for this. Right. You came to me and you said you saw something in, in me that ultimately I did not see in myself at that time. But I've had the space and the grace— in this community to learn sure. a little bit about it. And I think what I wanted to do by, by showing the Michael J. Fox clip at the beginning and ch- showing how... By the way, that clip was, explain what that clip was. That clip was when he uh, gets the guitar... This is in Back to the Future. Back to the Future and plays Johnny Be Good uh, with all the brothers who hadn't heard the song before because he basically, it's a whole thing that they did because of the time and everything. But in, in any event, plays the song and gets caught up... To, gets caught up in it. And I didn't realize until the clip was actually going that that what I was supposed to say about it was something different than what I thought. I thought it was like, now you see, a nine-year-old boy, me, back in 1985, saw this movie and said, that's what rock and roll is. And that's true. But what I noticed yesterday, even while I was watching the clip, is how Michael J. Fox get, gets carried away with himself. Yeah, He becomes raptured. Now, I'm not saying that in this picture that Steven Spielberg's intent was to, was to show that he was raptured by some evil spirit. I'm not saying that, but he gets carried away, doesn't he? And, he? and he loses touch with the crowd, and he's into his own individual experience to the degree that they feel separated from him. Yeah. Not to geek out too much. Right. Robert Zemeckis, not Spielberg. It, thank you. But Spielberg produced or something. He produced for that. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but, but he cuts himself off from the crowd by getting so into the experience. And I have felt that. Of course. I have felt that propensity to become so overwhelmed in the music. And even if it's in some space and some place in me, it's like I've got to be the freest person in the room. So I'll lose my mind in front of everybody, and it will give everybody else the permission to be more... But if, but if the experience becomes right. the centrality rather than the one on whom we focus our attention and affection, 
then that's what becomes the distraction. Right. right. And that's that's where I feel like a lifetime of watching I, I don't want to make the distinction between secular artists and Christian artists, but we, what can we what can we say? Great bands who play great music, who that that people large swaths of crowds are really somehow resonating with, mm-hmm. are caught up, but there's no mention of Christ. He might not be involved at all, and and yet it does express this human need to get together, to raise our voices, to be caught up in something. What does C.S. Lewis say? If we find within ourselves urges this world cannot satisfy, the only reasonable explanation is we must be made for another. So to me, huge rock concerts, and I mean, these are evidence that people want to sing, they that do. people want to love, and that people want to feel close together. And if the church doesn't provide something of an offering to that end, it's no wonder that stadiums fill up while church is empty. Right. Well, and then the, the stadium rock yeah. is going to create a void that temporarily scratches an itch. Fill a void. Yeah. It's going to create and then expand and yeah. then fill the void, yeah. but it's going to fill it with foam mm-hmm. that it doesn't last. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. 36 hours after a concert, you're left empty, and so you kind of have to have the next hit or mm-hmm. whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Authentic Godward worship actually fills us with meaning, purpose, and the eternal celestial dust right. of his presence mm-hmm. with one another, like you've said. Mm-hmm. And so, like we've said, worship is good for you. Now, yesterday, mm-hmm. I'm going to press in a little bit yeah. and give you a chance to unpack. Yeah. You sort of, as we're looking through Hebrews 13 here, and what a life looks like when we collectively go outside the camp and suffer mm. scorn like Christ did. You made a distinction between religion and worship at some level. Mm-hmm. Now, religion is like one of those terms likened to worship where everyone kind of knows what it means, but it means something different to virtually any everybody. Mm-hmm. There's a connotation, there's a denotation where religion might mean this strict, rigorous, legalistic, pharisaical, law-driven kind of transactional mindset. It could mean that. I like David Dark in Tennessee. His definition of religion is it's your organizing narrative. Mm. So on the surface, religion is really not good or bad. It's a neutral thing. It's your organizing narrative. You've already said that most of us, by default, are saddled with a performancism Mm -hmm. that is our organizing narrative. We think we have to do in order to get which is really no different from an Eastern mysticism, karma-based mindset, but you were talking about religion of transactional law versus worship. When that becomes our organizing narrative, then we're willing to do what you described in Hebrews 13, of going outside the camp, sacrifice of praise. Does that make sense? Yes, and I, what I wanted to, what I really was trying to say, and that this was also something that was unfolding to me in right. the moment, sure. on the stage, because we I call knew that, that spirit-driven yes. preaching. We hope I knew that to go outside the camp, to go outside the city. I knew that when whoever the writer of Hebrews was says, "We have no lasting city," oh. he's he's making a comment on the the organizing narrative that was within the city of Jerusalem that all centered around the temple, Good. the law. The, you know, yeah. the, the, the ritual, the steps that you would take to see that you were in right standing with God. Mm-hmm. That Jesus fulfilled. 
right. relegating that entire process. Essentially, when he says, bringing it down, I will fall this temple, it all came down. And the veil, as Paul writes in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, the veil has been removed. The veil, to me, was religion. It's this idea that, Hebrews, here's the steps to make sure that you stay with God until I send my son to make sure that God stays with you forever. And when God stays with you forever, you won't need these guardrails anymore. He will produce within you a heart that will yearn after righteousness. And so to be drawn back into the city conceptually, if we want to talk about the city, the city, and I'm thinking about New York, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about San Francisco. I'm thinking about Tyler. I'm thinking about anywhere where an an organized place has a set of rules that if you acquiesce to them, you will fill in the blank. Right. You are now drawn back into a space of, I'll give you this if you give me that. Reciprocity, transaction, law. Okay? Uh, We're not, this is not, this is not where... Uh, John went. John left the city. John went out into the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord where people were openly confessing their sins one to another, ultimately playing out what Jesus would then teach later is that broken are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who mourn. It's upside down, downside up. I mean, so he's he, his announcement, his good news, his gospel, Gospel mm-hmm. is, I've brought down the law because a people who become zealous for the law lose the heart of God. And that's the, that's the story of the Jews. Hmm. And that's the story of the Christian who begins to be deceived by the spirit of this age that would call us back into condemnation. That is, Eric, you're guilty. You are not loved by God. Somehow you're out of, con- even, even if these are subconsciously, if they're lost sure. on you, but if their motivating impulses is, I've got to get back into God's good grace, you are living in the land of law and you have allowed your dead man to take the day rather than hearing the condemning voice of the enemy and saying, I agree with you. And Jesus has something better <laughs> and stronger to say good. to you. Right. That is my sin is canceled and I am free and forgiven and I walk with God always. And there's none that can be snatched from his hand. Now that to me is nothing about religion. It's about a relationship, but a relationship with one who has the power to never change, Mm. right? You have a relationship with me, but the thing is, is I may go through a hard time and I may be mean and nasty and I may not care about you in the ways that I, but God's, the, the way God relates to us is not like we relate to one another. It's a stacked static finished fact. And that's where I started going on uh, about um, Bonhoeffer talking about Jesus cannot be separated from what he did. What he did is who he is. So that's an abstract concept. And I'd like to talk it out. Come on. I'd like to talk it. it out. If Jesus is what he did, it means we can't think of Jesus without thinking of the cross. Yeah, for sure. Because he's the man, his life is the very manifestation that is the articulation of what love looks like. This is God so loved the world. This is God is love. This is no one shall go through the Father but through the Son, but through this ethic, but through this understanding that 
you you couldn't get there on your own, mm-hmm. and you couldn't not get there in him. Right. And that, to me, is the word of God expressing itself to us finally. That is to say, there's not going to be uh, a, a better announcement. There's not going right. to be a better scenario than one man's life to save the entire world. Mm. That the, the, uh, the, the mind cannot conceive or grasp of a higher thought, and God knew it. I mean, and so he sent us his son. Yeah. All right, let me begin to circle the airport at mm-hmm. least a little bit mm-hmm. with this because you, you teased it out a little bit yesterday, but then time is always mm-hmm. short, I find, mm-hmm. when we preach. This idea of going outside the camp mm-hmm. and and encapsulating all this in worship. There are those in our culture and context that believe the church called to go outside the camp means that we are to sort of uh, rapture ourselves out of urban centers or out of um, civic contexts. Hmm. But here we are, downtown Tyler, Texas. It's not New York City. It's not San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It's Tyler. But I love Tyler, and I love the people of Tyler in this church and outside this church. When it says that we are supposed to go outside the camp, that, of course, cannot mean that we are supposed to divorce ourselves from the heartbeat and the warp and the woof of the city in which God has us. So what does worship look like outside the camp and yet in the center of the city? How do we do that? What does that look like? What does it look like for us to, what is your definition of worship? To worship is life in Christ. Life in Christ. How do we have active, consistent, continuous life in Christ in the center of the city? And still be outside the camp. Well, I think you go outside the camp. But first of all, it's, a, it's an abstract concept. It's conceptual. But what does Abraham, what is he called to do? What does God call, to, call him to do? Is to leave the home of his origin. Mm-hmm. Okay, the hero's journey. No matter, you know, hero, <laughs> hero of a thousand faces. You leave the home of your origin. You go out and you slay, slay the dragon. And you come back home and save your father. Hmm. Now, we can talk about that on another podcast, the <laughs> saving should. your father bit. But the idea is that Jesus lies at the edge of your existence, the edge of your comfort level, the edge of your um, ease, right? To, so, the, so sometimes, I would say every day, what does Jesus say? Pick up your cross and die daily. Now, that is something like the edge of the existence you thought, you got to jump off that edge because and let go of that life. You have to every day yield, you know, it's not, not my will, but the father's will Mm -hmm. be done every day. You're in a sense, you live to live in Christ is to yield your everyday's schemes and plans to him Mm. who is higher to him, who is sovereign to him, who has a better plan already in place than you could scheme up for yourself. So I think it starts there. I think it's also going outside the camp to, like I said, bear the reproach. Yeah. Okay. There is condemnation. There is indwelling sin. And there are ways in which I miss the mark every day. But if I, if I resist that horrible truth about myself, then when my wife brings to me news of my sin, <laughs> right, which is the bad news that you need to know. Right. It's, it's like the scalpels. It's the surgeon's scalpel. It cuts to heal. Okay, if I if I am resistant to that, I I I am cutting myself off 
at the knees. Yeah. I'm cutting myself off in my marriage. So in a sense, you're to bear the reproach is to go, hey, I leave this land of comfort where I'm in all this false assumptions about my own strength. And I go out into the land where I'm vulnerable and I'm wrong and I'm a sinner. That's it. That's And so I good. sin boldly. That's it. I live outside this camp of, I got all my stuff together. And if you want to know what God looks like, just look at the way I live my life. Oh, no. If you want to know what God loves like, if you want to know what God go. forgives like, look at my life. And in some some ways, I wanted to, Megan's like, you stopped in the middle of your sermon and you didn't pray. You were like, did I even pray? And then you didn't pray. And it's like, yes, because I don't have to. Right. I don't have to do anything for God to love me. The announcement of the gospel is it's already. It's done. I'm already loved. And so let's acknowledge that together. And I think also to sit around talking about love, show, expressing itself through blood is countercultural enough sure. uh, to, to leave us outside the camps, as it were, it's good. you know, when we gather. So. Well, we're a youth-obsessed, strengths-obsessed culture. Mm-hmm. And I think cities, and dare I say, as we approach our national independence yeah, recognition, countries. centers of strength, centers yeah. of influence. And symbols of strength and influence. And so I love that you pushed in on right on the border of saying going outside the camp is being honest about yeah. your weakness. We are never to be in the facade manufacture business. And I love that you, I always call you my freedom fighter, yeah. are busting people loose of their chains. I thought you did a great job walking us through a, tip, a tough text yeah. yesterday. So thanks for doing that. Dude, and we just got to get honor. it scheduled again. I can't wait. Hey, thanks for being a part of What's the Word downtown. We will look forward to seeing you Sunday, 10 a.m. Bethel Bible Church, downtown Tyler, Texas. Peace.